Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to Cut and Splice. This is Gil. And this is Jason. And this is Matt. And today we're going to be discussing uh, Peter Bogdanovich's uh, first movie, um, Targets, which was released in 1968. Um, we uh, we thought about doing this movie a, a little while back uh, when, when um, Bogdanovich uh, passed away. Uh, but uh, but now we're here uh, talking about it. Um, this is um, this is a movie that's um, the first time that I saw it was uh, in film school. We had a, a teacher. I think that maybe it was just me that had teacher, but he he was a co-writer on one of uh, Mel Brooks's movies. I think it was Dracula. <laughs> Dead and loving it. Dead and loving it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think his name was Steve uh, Haberman. Yeah, yeah. So he he was the one who uh, showed us targets, and uh, he told us the story behind it, which is kind of interesting. So so essentially, Peter Bogdanovich kind of got in with the Corman crew, uh, the Roger Corman crew, and um, was working with them on some productions, and uh, was an up and coming talent. And he gave him like I think it was like about a hundred thousand dollars or something. He, he said like. Um, here's a hundred thousand dollars, um, and um, and then there's this footage from this movie. I forget the name of it, but um, that I want you to use uh, that shows up in in Targets, uh, and and um, Boris Karloff owed uh, Roger Corman three days of shooting on a contract. So I said like use those three things and make a movie, like write a story around it, and that's what he did, and that's how we got Targets. And uh, and uh, apparently Karloff liked the the script so much that he ended up doing I think three extra days of shooting or something on it and and didn't take didn't ask for extra pay because he was so happy to do it. Um, so it's um, yeah and it's a, it's a very interesting um, movie uh, for sure. Um, Gil, oh. just to, to interject real quick, and I, I have mm -hmm. you know you can never be too sure about these things uh, the validity of these things, but. Um, I, I watched this on DVD, and uh, one of my favorite DVDs that I own, actually. And um, I, uh, they have a Peter Bogdanovich um, has what they call an intro, but is actually more like a featurette, really, because he talks for a long time, like ten minutes almost, about the movie. And I don't know if he's remembering it wrong or if uh, whatever, but um, he claimed that it was um, he owed them two days or something like that. And um, that Boris Karloff owed him two days of filming, and that yeah, that the they they told him yeah, just use the footage from I think it's the Terror or something like that. Yeah, the Terror I think it's called. Yeah, yeah. at least that's what IMDb trivia says. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Roger Corman's film The Terror, 1963. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, just throw that in there. Which uh, which interestingly, uh, in the footage you can see a, a young Jack Nicholson acts in it yeah he's the one at the door and uh and i saw this in the trivia but they said that uh roger corman tried to convince bogdanovich to cast him as the shooter in uh, oh, wow. in, in targets and um and he didn't go for it and i think it was a smart decision i mean because jack nicholson does look kind of like a crazy person whereas <laughs> i think the casting <laughs> yeah. that he went with um, but uh, it would have been interesting to have the clout of uh, the whole baggage that that 
that he would have come with later in his career to like have that sure. in the movie, but uh, but that didn't happen. Um, but yeah, that, the basic. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, sorry, that's just something to really delve into after we go into spoilers. Uh, uh, but yeah. Yes, definitely. It, it, so it, yeah, so basically, as usual, we'll do our first bit, um, short bit about reviewing and and recommending and rating, and then we'll we'll go into spoilers. Uh, but but right. the gist of it for uh, people. Uh, uh, yeah. Although mm-hmm. we've already established that there's going to be a shooter in the movie, and that's yeah, basically yeah, yeah. the entire climax. Yes. But well, yeah. no, I mean, so basically, <laughs> uh, uh, this. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, that's a good point. Did we mess it up? I I don't no, know. No, no, no. You could get that from the trailer and the, the and the poster. It's fine. Yeah, ba- basically, right. I mean, the the plot of the movie is is that there is there is a because it's not the climax. There there is there is a young man who uh, is into guns and he um he ends up being a shooter and there is a there is active a shooter. active shooter and there's a a storyline that goes alongside of it of Boris Karloff and and director of a movie that he worked on, uh, who was played by Peter Bogdanovich. And, uh, and basically mm-hmm. these two storylines essentially, um, um, collide intersect. in some way, intersect, yeah. um, like and, and relate. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's a movie full of, um, of symbolism and, um, it's very, very intentional, very, very much, uh, very citizen Kane of Bogdanovich being that he was a, a big, uh, a uh, fan of Orson Welles and later a good friend of his. Um, so, so yeah, it's definitely a very. Even though it's a very small movie, it's it's quite dense. It's it's quite interesting and, and enjoyable, especially for the low budget that it was. And um, and yeah, I mean, my my rating for it was was nine, and I'm not sure if I might keep it that way. I don't know if it was just overly enthusiastic back then, but but I I watched a movie in one sitting, which is not something I do much nowadays. Because I just never have time. It's it's pretty Sad. brief. It's like an hour and a half, and um, mm-hmm. and it's solid. I would probably keep that rating. Uh, interestingly enough, um, my story with this movie is pretty simple. Um, I I think it was, uh, gosh, I don't know, Gil. Do you remember what year it was? Uh, it would have obviously been after we were out of school. Gil, as he had just explained. Um, had uh seen this movie in 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 class at one point um introduced uh by this uh you know uh a professor that you had he just saw that it was going to be part of a two two parter a double feature at what i believe was the new beverly but might have been the egyptian i'm not sure you called me up and said hey we got to go check out this movie this um there's this like Charlton Heston one, which probably sucks. And then there's this other one called Targets, which is really, really good. They're both movies about active shooters. And you you were like, you're going to really like this movie. we got to go see it. And I was like, all right, let's go. And um, yeah, and you were pretty much right. Even though I don't think the Charlton Heston one sucked, it was just like nothing by comparison to, to uh, Targets. Targets was way better. Uh, Which one was the Charlton Heston? I don't, even I don't know what it's called. I know it, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, we can look it up right now. It, it's yeah. not important to the thing. It's a it's a movie with Charlton Heston, and there's a there's a shooter inside of an arena, and it's like it's a big oh. big movie, a big uh, you know like a summer or not a summer blockbuster. That's not the right way. It's like just a big movie. mainstream movie where you know where you have an ensemble, like an ensemble disaster movie. That's a good way to describe it. 
because it's yeah. like all these storylines. There's, there's the couple that's getting engaged, and then there's the the husband and wife that are having troubles, and then there, you know it's like all these different little storylines that all co- you know um, you know resolve one way or another when this shooter starts shooting people. And I mean, it was fine, whatever. It was it's a forgettable movie, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, the targets. When we watched that, I, we were like talking about it all the whole way home, you know, <laughs> and I was like, wow, I'm so glad you introduced me to this movie. And now, of course, years later, um, I found out that it's one of the hardest movies to find on DVD. And I found it in a in a um, used uh, or oh, no, no, I did not find it in any of the used DVD stores that I frequent but i did manage to just find a copy on ebay of all places for only like 20 bucks and i was really happy to have found that um because it's pretty difficult to get your hands on an authentic copy of it yeah and now it's available for streaming for like (laughs) 2.99 yeah if you don't care about tangible media (laughs) yeah uh, which i wish i don't (laughs) but i I don't (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, what about you, Matt? Like, what was the, so for you? It was the first time watching it, right? Yeah, um, I, I, yeah, it, it was, and uh, I, I'm going to save most of what I have to say for the spoiler section okay. because. <laughs> honestly about 15 minutes in i was just like okay this is totally this thing and after i watched the movie and looked it up i was able to confirm yeah it is totally this thing that the movie is talking about so matt's gonna spoil some shit yeah (laughs) (laughs) well he'll spoil when it's necessary um, uh, but but anybody listening, uh, the cinematographer on the movie was Laszlo Kovacs, and I met Laszlo Kovacs like six months before he died, and he was a great guy, and I love his work, and I loved his work uh, on another movie that bugged. Donovich uh, directed, you know, Paper Moon and everything. And I I am going to immediately bump this movie up a bit just because I love Laszlo Kovacs. Uh, so I, I'm just going to uh, agree with Gil. It's probably a nine for me. Uh, no. I, I mean, it's it's not it's not that I have a massive boner for this movie. It's just that, <laughs> I, 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 okay, yeah, I do. It, it, it's, it's just really good. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. There's definitely a lot to admire about it, like from all right. the components, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. From the uh, camera work to the direction to the and ingenuity of like the production <laughs> to make things happen. To, yeah. Yeah, I, I was going to talk about I, it too. I, I, I might have bumped it up uh, like a, a half star just because it's Lazo Kovacs. I <laughs> love Lazo Kovacs and I wish that he were still with us. And uh, I mean, I met him on the same day that I met Vilma Zygmunt and they're both brilliant people. And uh, yeah, fuck that guy did some brilliant stuff with this movie. So uh, well, well, before we do any of the other stuff, uh, yeah. did you guys um, 
I, I, uh, I mean, this is uh, sadly, uh, I'm very sad to say, the only Bogdanovich film that I've seen. Although I'm very much looking forward to seeing several of his others, I was hoping to see one today before we did this, just so I could talk about something else uh, that he's done. But um, have you guys seen his other films? And if so, uh, how do you place them compared to this one? Because this was also his first feature, I think. Yes, uh, it was. Um, I I saw recently. I saw Paper Moon, and I was uh, I, I was not impressed. Like I I I liked it. I know that I think the uh, the young actress uh, Tatum O'Neill. I think she won the Oscar, and I think it was nominated for a few things. But uh, yeah. I didn't think it was as good as people make it out to be. <laughs> um, but it's uh, it's not bad. Uh, and and then I saw his big one, the one that really made him big. The last the picture show. Last picture show, and, and also yeah. you know I I don't know like it's it's kind of like diner, and, and like it's the, those types of movies like where like the coming of age thing of a bunch of teenagers like in a very specific town in a very specific moment in their lives and they're all making this transition, and and it's very forgettable. I honestly don't remember anything from that movie. <laughs> I, it's that for I just remember that Civil Shepherd is in it, and uh, and Jeff Bridges. Apart from that, I have no recollection of a single plot line in that movie. That's it's that's how forgettable it is. Um, <laughs> wow. So uh, so I would rank that lower than Paper Moon, and um, and then the only other one I saw, which was not terrible, was. Um, of all the ones that he's made, it's like an odd one, but but he's made one. Uh, it's because I, I listened to a whole podcast. There's a podcast with uh, this like film reviewer. He, he did like a whole season of interviewing Peter Bogdanovich, and they went movie by movie and talking about all his movies. Nice. So of all, of all his movies, that the one that interested me is he made a movie in Singapore. Wow, what was it like? It was in the seventy. Uh, uh, Saint Jack. Yeah, Saint Jack. Yeah, yeah, Saint Jack. It was interesting. Interesting, because like it was also it felt like almost like targets. He went to Singapore with a ragtag team of filmmakers, and he kind of like made this movie with with Ben Gazzara and and stuff. And 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 it's interesting, but but the main thing for me with Bogdanovich, it really feels like that he's an amateur wannabe filmmaker, but just a really really good one. You know, like it always feels like his movies are are tapering on this like just below professionalism <laughs> I, I really feel like target is the only one where he he kind of nailed it he was imitating hitchcock there's a whole thing about it. i think he uh, he told uh it's something with roger corman and he said something about like should we do it like a hitchcock movie or like a, a howard hawks movie and he said like well hitchcock was very efficient so shoot like hitchcock <laughs> And uh, and it's very Hitchcockian, and and it shows like there's a lot of tracking shots and revealing pieces of yeah. information. Uh, it's it's really good, but uh, he's he's sort of like a poor man's Scorsese. Like he's such a student of cinema, but but he never actually graduated. He never actually became like a to me personally. Like all the movies of his that I've seen, they're like attempts at making a movie, and they succeed to some degree. Target is by far the best one, but even that one looks amateurish. It's just that it looks like a great amateuristic movie. Like yeah. it's as if like a, an amazing student filmmaker made that movie or something. 
yeah, that's uh, so that yeah. that's my ranking. I guess like a Saint Jack, I, I would put maybe right above Paper Moon or or Neck to Neck. So those are the four that I've seen this okay. far. Cool. I, I mean, I I can't really rank his movies uh, all that well. I, I mean, I, <laughs> the funny thing is the night that I met Lazo Kovacs, they actually did screen a scene from Paper Moon that was struck from the original 35 millimeter negative. And they actually just showed the print from the original 35 millimeter negative. And it, it's funny, you know, because every time I watch Paper Moon, even when I'm watching it digitally, even when I'm watching it streaming, even when I'm watching it on DVD, I'm still back in that room in in the AFI and watching that magic happen. And uh, so I'm kind of biased toward that, but. I mean, the last big movie it looks like this guy made was Mask. Yeah. And uh, honestly, I haven't seen it. So um, I didn't know. see that one either. My, my uh, a friend of mine uh, said that his career is uh, very heavily front loaded. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, sadly, it's the same. It, it's the same thing for Laszlo Kovacs. I mean, he, he, it, his career kind of teetered off uh, uh, toward the end. I mean, like his last, I mean, Laszlo Kovacs's last movie was um, Two Weeks Notice. And that was, that was just after Miss Congeniality. Okay. I mean, I, I think so, it just happens. I think it just happens that people, because a lot of people start out as fans. Like we're fans yeah. of movies and that's why we got into movies. Uh, and um, and a lot of them are very talented and don't succeed. And some of them are somewhat talented and succeed. Like they're able to get their foot in the door one way or another, whether it's their personality or something, they get a shot. And then they're like, they're good. They're not great, but they're good, but they're not bad. They have good intentions. They're very thoughtful. They're, they're movie lovers. But but you just see that that it's it's not there. It's not there completely. It's 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 all very um, honest and 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 a good attempt. But it's but so eventually you just run out of steam uh, unless you have very good scripts coming at you and you work with very good people that elevate your work. Uh, mm -hmm. You can't run on that. You'll run out of creative gas very quickly. You know, it's not yeah. like Paul Thomas Anderson or Tarantino that everything is like a slam dunk because they just have like a once in a generation talent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are we going to go into spoilers or? Might as well. Um, yeah. uh, did you uh, did you rate it, Jason? No. Oh, uh, sorry. Um, I I would have probably said an eight or a nine uh if you'd asked me last week uh you know i was just trying to like remember from the one time i saw it in theaters uh with you um and today i was trying to decide what i thought about it and obviously we, we can go into more of that later um and there was a number of things i found a little disappointing when i rewatched it this time 
but I don't really think it's fair to really say that any of them were really anything that damaged the movie in any way. Mm-hmm. Like it brought it down that much. So yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much, it's a strange, uh, kind of horror movie, if you want to call it that. And that's kind of my favorite kind of horror movie are the ones that are so different than all the others. And, um, I don't know. It's definitely one of like the, in that regard, it's like one of the best I've ever seen. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's like, uh, probably, uh, 8.5 or nine. It's, it's pretty great. Yeah. I guess it's sort of like a Midsommar in a way that, that movie that came out recently. You didn't see it, but it's, it's basically, um, it's the second Ari Esther movie that that was essentially a classic horror movie in broad daylight <laughs> you basically mm-hmm. do, took the 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 generic plot of horror like movies including the person that walks away and then never comes back like all the tropes are there it's just that it's built around a scandinavian cult in broad daylight with white clothing it's the complete opposite of what every horror movie is which is dark black yeah. in the in the shadows and Anyway, so 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 yeah, and same thing with The Shining. The Shining was another horror movie that was basically almost flat lit most of the movie. Because <laughs> like the yeah. scary part is human psychology, not the lighting or the ghosts. It's it's the alcoholic dad that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I think that that was always a fundamental uh, intrigue and you know, the fundamental payoff of the movie was that there is this character who who represents the real evil that we actually experience in real life. And eventually there is this connection at the end of this person who is who has represented what we view as evil, what we can see at the skin deep level as evil. And those two characters colliding that, you know, like there is in so many ways, it is easy for us to look at Nosferatu and see, okay, that is, something someone a, a a being that i do not want to be around it's easy for us to process that while also experiencing a certain level of fear which is in, in a way comfortable you know like we we are afraid of that but we're comfortable fearing that you know we know that we can get away from that very easily whereas the shooter in the movie you know like he's somebody who flies under the radar he's the guy that throws five bucks on the counter at you know your local convenience store and just buys a red bull and you don't think about it you know he's he's nobody and then he's, not, he's not Jack Nicholson. <laughs> right, right. And, and actually <laughs> that's that's a good segue. He uh, Jack Nicholson would have been 
too imposing a presence, I think, for that role. Uh, I, I think that if Jack Nicholson was being Jack Nicholson and he was playing the shooter, we would be looking at this role and thinking, oh, well, that crazy-eyed guy turned out to be a crazy shooter. You know, oh, yeah. who would have thunk it? Uh, you know, no. It, Although I, I would say, though, um, just a quick thing is that that uh, thinking about that, I was realizing that some of the shooters, when you look at photos of them, and this is more when they're in jail after, but they kind of look nuts. At least half of them. The other half look very boring. But I think um, more than half. Yeah, but but for the purpose of the movie, I think to make that point that you're that you're illustrating, I think, is was necessary, yes. Well, that also gets into my other point that I was pushing, uh, pushing away, uh, that this is very clearly a movie about the Texas Bell Tower shooter. Yeah. That uh, I, I, Bogdanovich talks about that in, in his... Um uh in his uh, intro thing that um he he wanted to make a movie about that right and charles whitman is basically the same guy that was portrayed in this movie in that he was kind of that normal guy you know he was a military veteran he was trustable. He was, uh, you know, he, uh, he had a family. He had a wife. He had so many things going for him, and he just went fucking nuts. Just uh, like in uh, the movie, he, he killed his wife and mother and then right. ceremoniously tucked them in bed. Right. Exactly. I, 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 that's why, that's why, uh, you know, uh, again, 2015, uh, 20, 30 minutes through the movie, I was just like, okay, this is Charles Whitman. Yeah. Like, I, and I, I don't know if the filmmakers or anybody involved knew that Charles Whitman, you know, like had a brain tumor that just like, that did just drive him nuts but you know actually drove him to do what he did while they were making the movie but i, I mean yeah it, that was kind of an interesting aspect of the film was that you know yeah i mean it was very clearly about charles whitman without being about charles whitman you know that you know, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah. Pick, pick me apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think uh, that's very true. And uh, and it's it's good to note we mentioned about the ingenuity, the um, the whole thing of him shooting people on the freeway. <laughs> Apparently, they um, um, they didn't get a permit to shoot on the four or five, and they they had to essentially. Uh, communicate with the or time something with drivers and tell crew members who were like sitting in the cars and driving to like make it as if they were shot and they and they they had very long telephoto lenses to capture that. 
Uh, so, so it is interesting how they they manage to make that whole thing that which has a lot of production value happen. Yeah. The, the actual shootings. He was saying in the in the featurette that um that it was a hundred percent MOS and and all um you know gorilla. They didn't have any permit for any of it, and um, the uh, he was giving a ton of credit to the um the the sound editor um for the movie because he said like at first when you watch all that stuff without any of that it's it's every single thing you're hearing in the whole uh, scene is all just stuff they put in afterward and he says it's like one of his favorite parts of the movie yeah 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 um i'm just amazed that the 405 was ever moving like that (laughs) 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 yeah and i guess that leads that leads into the 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 second thing that the other component of what the movie is trying to say is that the role of the, uh, the symbolism of the car in the movie as uh, as also some sort of force of evil um i actually just thinking about it again if if you watch this movie in the context of today the modern car is social media um so in the movie cars are portrayed as this thing that isolates people that puts us in boxes. Um, oh that yeah, there's that takes line off the... that he talks about when he gets to when they first get to the the movie theater, the 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 drive-in movie theater. Oh, what does he say? Uh, I didn't. I never. I didn't pick up on any of that. But um, yeah, when they get to the drive-in movie theater, the, the movie's been playing for a little bit. It's already well underway, and they say, "Oh, we're just gonna. You don't have to stop the movie." He says, "We're just gonna go watch it until you're ready for me to go up on the, you know, do the presentation, or whatever." So they pull up with his limo and him and Jenny are watching the movie and he he kind of looks to his left and looks at all the cars and he he looks at her and there's a point where he's he very poignantly says boy it's uh it's really different when you can't hear their reactions. Yes, that's definitely one line that's very specifically pushing for that to continue that symbolism. And there's also um, when they're driving to, they're, when they're driving through the neighborhood, through Ventura Boulevard or whatever, <laughs> to get to the, uh, to get to the uh, wherever the theater is, um, Reseda. Uh, the Reseda, yeah, whatever. But but in any case, um, they keep driving past car dealerships, and he laments how the neighborhood has changed, and now it's all car dealerships, mm. and it's disgusting. And it's it's sort of like um, how when TV came out, people felt like it was the enemy or something. So the, when cars were taking over L.A. at that time, because it started in the 50s where it was a boom of freeways and everything. In the 60s, it really just exploded. Like, you know, every, every family had two vehicles or something all of a sudden. And... Um, so the, there's this idea of like instead of going on subways like in New York or trains or buses and having a communal experience or in the theater as well, everything is like you're in a car, you're in a drive, drive-in, you're not actually feeling the energy of people around you. So everything is compartmentalized and the disconnect between that is why we create these shooters like that's the argument of the movie is that th- that disconnect is that's why we don't sense when there's a shooter and uh and 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 again i do think the modern equivalent of that is social media where people hmm. sometimes get ra- radicalized whether it's 
like um, the whole ISIS thing that happened, and but even that, like with the the far right, you know, groups. Um, but but even that aside, there's always the lone lone gunmen as well. It's a combination of all those things. It's probably why there's more of them now than in the past, just because there's just so much various ways to get radicalized. Um, so, but but in the movie specifically, I think the cars is one of the arguments that the cars are like destroying society. And in the end, and that's the big uh, that's the big uh, reveal is like the the cars becomes their graves. They get shot in the cars. They can't escape. And and the final shot of the movie is all the uh, the like the the speaker boxes in the in the um, like the wide shot of the of the drive-in. It looks like a graveyard. So that's that's basically the whole thread of the movie yeah. is is built on the uh, what the car symbolizes, and then the the part that Matt spoke about with the horror. That there's the defined horror, like we know when we see Dracula or Frankenstein, um, you know, that they're monsters from the movies. They're the bad people, although the monster of Frankenstein is not even Dracula. They're not yeah. actually specifically evil. They're actually complex. But, you know, but meaning that like there's it's very black and white, yeah. uh, whereas um, whereas the shooter modern day horror is to be shot by. You know, a member of your own community is is a horror that you can't anticipate, and it's that much more scary. Um, but then, when when Karloff walks up to him and sees this wimpy little kid, cuddled like uh, cuddling himself in a corner, is like this, like this is what we're afraid of. This is like this is the modern day horror. Like that's depressing. You know, the the fact that it's like. Pathetic. It's pathetic, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a powerful. The whole thing is just the way it's put together is really powerful. It's one of those rare movies that kind of nails it. Like it's. Uh, it's I, the, mm-hmm. I was just gonna say, I don't know about you guys. I, I've had many discussions with people about what type of of horror movie they prefer. I know many people who, you know, whether this is true or not, it's just what they were claiming, but. Um, you know, I know a lot of people who either expressed a preference or were just kind of boasting that they didn't find horror movies effective or scary or something like that. And they would say, you know, like they can watch anything like Aliens or like something with ghosts or anything like that, anything supernatural. And they said it doesn't really affect them in any way. But they said they get very nervous and scared or whatever affected, let's just say by stuff like slasher films or a movie like this it's about someone a shooter out of control you know and stuff like that um just because to them they said that's something that they could just imagine could easily happen in their lifetime whereas the other not so much but i think probably a lot of people out there um myself being one of them find it um much more interesting at least um uh, you know i i would <laughs> Not to make it too simplified, but um, I, I would um, I, I would side with Boris Kar- Karloff in this one. <laughs> I, I prefer movies about more fantastical um, things if they're going to try to uh, make a intriguing horror film kind of thing. I I like when there's some sort of element of something a little more supernatural involved. But um, but you know I think it's it's really. When it comes down to it, even though the, the movie is making a really 
interesting point. It, it does at least speak to a very simple question of just preference of like what you what you kind of what what works for you. Honestly, I went into this knowing that at least certain outlets had given it like a, a, a horror label as a genre. Yeah. And I came out of this thinking, where the fuck is this a horror movie? I, no, I, I mean, it's definitely uh, more of a serial killer movie uh, than, no, a, no, than a horror I, movie, for sure. I, I, I mean, it, it's just, it, I, I don't see how that label actually fits. It, it's well, just that's, that's more of a discussion of, of right. genre and stuff like that at that point. And IMDb, by the way, has it as crime drama thriller. It doesn't have it as horror. Yeah, I, I, I know. I, I, uh, some other outlets have. Uh, I, I think because of the Boris Karloff connection, that that's what it was a modern day horror. Yeah. But that's but again, the modern day horror is a serial killer movie. I'm sure there's plenty of yeah. people who would consider uh, the 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 helplessness of all the people in the drive-in during the final sequence of this movie to be really scary, especially at the time when they didn't have a, a lot of stuff that we, you know, the, the last, uh, let's just say, um, you know, uh, 50 years of, of uh, movies and stuff, but uh, to go off of, but yeah, uh, there's definitely some blood there. And the... well, I mean, that one, not to get sidetracked from what we were just talking about, but, one of the things I was going to say disappointed me about the movie is that while I definitely don't want it to be gory or exploitative or anything like that, um, I mean, this is a violent movie and uh, <laughs> it's about a guy with a rifle, you know, a 30 odd six that he's like shooting into a crowd of people. I mean, I really think there should have been more blood. I mean, I don't want puddles or anything, but you know, like a Tarantino there's, there's, level. Yeah, nothing like that. Uh, but like, there's a moment where there's a little, there's like a terrified child sitting in the front seat of a sedan, and the camera slowly pans to the uh, and reveals that his father in the driver's seat, his head is just kind of cocked backwards, and he's just lifeless and still. And there's like a little fingerprint of of blood on his neck, you know. If that's an entry wound, there should be blood all over that seat. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty big bullet. <laughs> yeah, although that is some of the most horrific stuff in the movie is is when you see that kids are are essentially damaged for life <laughs> in that moment, essentially. Yeah. If they're seeing their parents like die in front of them. I I also think um, uh, Jenny gets shot. Just she gets w wounded. You know, she gets winged in the shoulder yeah. or something. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I was a little weirded out that she didn't scream. She didn't make any sound at all. And so I kind of like, it, that was one of the things that frustrated me. Cause I was like, well, I guess I can make up the excuse for it and say that she kind of just went into shock or something. But I think if we're expected to believe that we should have gotten like a close up of her face so that it showed that it was intentionally that she, you know, got shot and didn't make a sound and was just like, you know, shell shock, just kind of sitting there or whatever. But instead, we're just kind of left to like, okay, <laughs> that happened. <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, it's it's a definitely is an interesting um, mix of elements in this movie, 
and uh, and not to get too much into the the gun debate, especially because Matt is very gung ho about his guns lately. But uh, <laughs> but but there was a touch. There was a touch there, like when he goes to the gun stores, like. This was a bit too easy for this guy to get all that ammunition. Yeah, he, they, they could have limited, you know, the number of, uh, especially if he didn't have the money and they put it on his dad's credit. The whole thing was a bit too, like, you know, yeah, if you want to say, like, about, like, you know, access to guns, access to ammunition is like, eh, you know, something could have been done yeah. there to slow this guy down. But, you know, but it doesn't mean that he wouldn't have found another way to make it happen yeah the um ah, i don't know ahead. if uh oh go ahead Matt. no 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 you go ahead i was just going to mention that um in the um i i don't i don't know how uh how much validity there is to this because i've heard other directors make similar claims and i didn't really believe them but <laughs> it could just be a matter of opinion but um in the uh, in that featurette, um, Bogdanovich was talking about um, how he showed the movie to a, a number of places, and just everybody seemed to love it. And every every indicate there was every indication that it was going to be incredibly successful. And then he said that um, before they could release the movie. Uh, Martin Luther King and uh, I think Bobby Kennedy or somebody uh, were both assassinated pretty close to each other uh, in time. And um, it, it just made like half the, <laughs> the um, distribution companies, you know, it just a lot of their, their options dried up. And he said when they finally did release it, it, it didn't make any money. Yeah. I mean, I can see it being a tough sell. I mean, it's a small movie. There's no big names in it, except for Boris Karloff, which is an aging actor. Yeah, I mean, I think most Roger Corman movies don't tend to, they tend to be kind of like B-movies and such, but. Yeah. But yeah, but, that, but that's why this movie has like a, you know, a long shelf life as far as like, I mean, hopefully people seek it out. And if not, you should now. <laughs> But uh, it's such a hopefully a good, you've seen it by now. It's such a relevant movie point. of the times right now, I think. Yeah, like I said, the, the social media definitely can be related to it, and I'm sure a lot of people in the gun debate too. <laughs> and and well, there's a lot of shooting. Regardless of of where you stand on on the issue, it, it's kind of irrelevant. It's just the fact, just the sheer fact that these uh, there there are you know, big massacres and, and, and mass shootings that take place. And it's a big conversation that goes on. Uh, yeah. So it doesn't really matter where your feelings are on it. It's a pretty relevant movie. Yeah. And, and I do think the movie uh, doesn't lean heavily on, on the, the access question. It, it, there's like a small scene about it, but, but uh, the movie, the overall point of the movie is that the, the, the issue, the main issue is the, the deterioration of, a community like the the whole car yeah. thing mm -hmm. like whatever yeah. device you want to come up with that makes these um these uh young men alienated and act out their aggression through shooting people uh, yeah it's it's uh that's the thing really to to solve more than anything and i don't know if it's possible it seems like it might always be an issue specifically in this society more so than most countries that it's it's an issue it's tough to explain it, but but I guess this movie tries. 
in other words, it's um, uh, for anyone who's never seen it, the movie doesn't um, get bogged down in any politics or anything. It's just a, a really good movie that really portrays what it's talking about and kind of leaves you with lots of uh, thoughts. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't think there's any one solution for sure. Like the yeah, yeah. Uh, right. And I, I mean, I, I, you know, if there is, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to make this uh, a political conversation, but I, I mean, again, the, the, the <laughs> fact that uh, the fact that this is basically like a a clone stamp of the Charles Whitman thing. I, I mean, again, you know, like Charles Whitman was exactly the kind of guy who should pass every background check, who should have been able to, you know, get whatever he wanted. I mean, like the guy was a fucking Marine. <laughs> I, like, you know, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, it, it's not one of those things where, you know, you're talking about, an 18 year old who has had mental health problems going into a gun shop and buying a $2,000 rifle, which really actually doesn't happen, you know, very often. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, this is based upon a story of somebody who, was a model citizen and that's what makes it so horrifying that's what makes it such a good movie is that What's this the... is uh, uh, sorry uh, no no go ahead go go, go ahead no, i don't know i, no, no, I, I mostly think... was going to clarify uh, wasn't charles whitman wasn't he um didn't have the didn't have the whole like uh like tumor thing like that was discovered later or was that a different shooter no, no, yeah, I, I, it it was Charles Whitman who had a brain tumor uh, yeah. uh, that was discovered after he. Uh, it, it's actually funny. He was um, stationed at uh, 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 Camp Lejeune, which even to this day they're, you know, filing lawsuits against them because of water contamination that was causing brain uh, causing tumors. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he is a perfect example of somebody that like, we just could never through any red flag law, through any, uh, background check or anything like that, stop this guy from getting a gun because, well, he was like, and he was an upstanding citizen. <laughs> until he got a brain tumor that might have been caused by the government and went nuts and killed a bunch of people. So, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And in the I, movie, there's no sign of that. They don't really give much of an explanation except for the, the disconnect in society well, and all that. I, well, I, well, I, I think that's I, what they were going for, right? Like you, like yeah, you said. Yeah, yeah. That's the point. I, I did. Like, but maybe really... at that point, uh, when he wrote the script, like they didn't discover yet the whole brain tumor with the. Uh, I mean, I think he left a note, right? So, I mean, I think it might, yeah, well, it might I, have been known at the time. I did really like that scene um, where uh, uh, Bobby in the movie, right? The, the shooter in the movie, Bobby, 
was talking to his wife the the night before he went on his rampage yeah. and was just saying i i feel like i need to talk to you and yeah. just saying i'm having these thoughts that that um plays really well into what gil was saying too that's another yeah. scene where they're trying to show society's isolation in this case not with a car but 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 specifically just kind of you know i mean um she's she's been working nights you know yeah. so when he gets back from his job she's leaving shortly after to start her job and then uh so that you know it, they're showing that isolation like like what gil was talking about yeah that yeah. he doesn't have someone to talk to although yeah he's got the parents uh did you uh i don't know why this every time i watch this movie i forget but i i always like the fact that they all live in the same house it's weird oh always throws me off it's like is this his sister <laughs> and then like that seems like there's is he hitting on his sister i was like oh no it's his wife like the the three times i've watched this movie every time like i i, I think it's a sister and then i realized that it's a wife but, but i guess it's possible young couples lived with the i mean it, they they say that he's yeah, got an older brother who's got kids and is is not living at home well i i mean he he kills his older brother in the movie right no, that that person was a delivery man. Uh, oh, I uh, okay. I thought that was his brother. Okay, uh, uh, I I don't think so. Um, the if uh, you listen to the mom, it, it's like she's not on screen. It's just a uh, you know, um, not voiceover. What do you call it? Um, whatever, off-screen voice uh, thing. Um, she um, when he's typing the thing or whatever, I think she she yells something to the to the wife character and she says, Oh, that such and such just arrived or something like that. Whatever. Oh, okay. There is that moment with the wife where he tells her like to call in sick or something like the call that she can't make it or something. Cause he wants to spend time with her. And then she said that yeah. she can't do it. And that's another thing where like, there's that disconnect. Uh, but, but I do, I, I guess at the time there wasn't that whole, thing about shooters being incels and all that that mm. like they tend to be loners because to me the profile of this guy just doesn't seem very likely that the yeah being a part of a wholesome family is fine that that could still be a shooter uh, but it's surprising that he would have a wife but i guess if they live at home with the parents maybe he feels stuck maybe he feels like inadequate as a husband that he hasn't been able to provide like i'm trying to rationalize like what's the the idea of the setup there because like to me it would have made more sense if he didn't have a wife well i think they there's two two things to that one is that that um he bogdanovich like openly said he wanted to make a movie about uh what's his name whitman Oh, and yeah. he had a wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah Charles and Whitman, Whitman yeah. uh, shot and killed his wife and his mother the morning before he did the 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 uh, bell tower shooting or whatever it was. Yeah, there's definitely something shocking about the fact that you. It's one thing to kill strangers. That's why he had yeah. a tumor. Like he wasn't thinking rationally. He just like went on a rampage. Like to, to 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 kill strangers, fine. Like you're trying to like just empower yourself in some sort of twisted way, but to uh, to kill your parents and your wife, that's yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, you know, people don't get along with their wives and their parents, but 
still, I, I just, it feels like weird. Oh, sorry. That was the other part I was going to mention. I, I, I was trying to remember where my brain was going with that. Aside from the fact that he's trying to openly make like a, what would you call it? Not an homage, but, a, you know, he's trying to make a story about uh, Whitman. Uh, and and that was, a I think, a very specific point he wanted to cover was that he killed the mother and the wife before he went on the, the rampage, or I should say at the start of the rampage, maybe, and then ceremoniously tucked them in bed and all that weird stuff. I mean, I don't know for sure, but my thought was when I was watching is that um, I think that him having a wife and and them showing scenes of him having a very wholesome family is just kind of, you know, underscore the um the point that they're making i mean i don't want to say the terror but you know the um the fact that you know the it's not um some loner guy they they're trying to make it like this could be anybody you know it's not that he's sex deprived it's not that he is attention deprived it's well we they are trying to show that isolation thing but that um he he seems on uh, on the outside to be a completely normal person. But then they're trying to make this point about how in our society itself with cars and everything else are slowly isolating us more and more and more, even within our own normal lives. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally understand that for sure. And it is more shocking when he kills us. Yeah, family. more shocking. Yeah, no, um, it's, um, hmm? I was gonna say, I, I think the wonders are really effective. Oh, they, yeah. they, they seem to be um, more on the first half of the movie, just to kind of build a lot of tension and stuff. Um, but uh, like you said, I'm, I'm sure that's a lot of that Hitchcockian influence, probably. <laughs> One thing we didn't talk about at all, uh, very little anyway, was that that uh, that uh, Bogdanovich plays the director. Uh, yeah, I mentioned that. Yeah, we didn't, yeah we didn't I, I know. You, I know you far. mentioned it. Yeah, I was just gonna yeah. say, like, I I don't know about you guys, but. Um, I like that. So this is the second time I'd ever seen this movie, right? Um, I completely forgot that they open with the scene from one of his other previous movies, you know, and they're like watching, you're watching a, an existing, um, you know, uh, uh, Boris Karloff film and everything. And then it, and then the credits roll and it's a, a, a viewing room, you know, like for dailies basically. Mm -hmm. And, of course, they start with uh, the, what is it? It's not a producer, but like a studio head or somebody just like trashing the movie, basically. <laughs> and, um, and you know, like that's when um, Boris Karloff's character, um, whatever his name is, um, when he um, he says he's going to quit, you know, and, and everybody freaks out and whatever. I remember when I was watching this at this time, I was like, wow, I forgot that they had that opening like that in this movie i remembered that karloff is playing a version of himself where he's this this iconic horror actor who's like way past his prime and his movies aren't making a lot of money anymore and so on and so forth but um i forgot the way that they kind of did all that and it's like i just thought it's interesting that like here's the director is in the movie or in the room with him when he says this and it's a director he's worked with a bunch of times. And <laughs> I thought, well, if anybody's going to be trying to get him to stay and not leave, it would be the director, right? I'm surprised that he like left the room and whatever, but then sure enough, 
he follows him outside and he's trying to plead with him not to go and all this stuff. And I'd kind of forgotten that halfway through this movie, he's going to show up in that hotel room and they're going to get drunk together. And I don't know about you guys. I think that's like some of the most fun in the whole movie is watching. I think they have this like great little chemistry as the director and an actor that they've collaborated with so many times. And they, they have this great like back and forth with each other. I'm I'm not sure if they've collaborated yeah. too many times, but um, but I, I think he's like the up and coming. He's basically it's all meta because he's the up and coming talent, like he was when he made this movie. Yeah, and well, movie he says was, uh, doesn't he say he said he has a line? He says something like they haven't collaborated too much. They've done like two movies or something. But he says maybe two he says movies. like uh, he says something like that. I guess those weren't movies that he cared about. The director. He's like, I, I, I wrote this garbage that you you did this movie and this movie, and now that I finally have a great script, you're retired. Yeah, and he says how like it's not a, a heavy or a horror, you right. know, like yeah. part. It's like something completely different. The movie he's pitching is it, targets. It's super meta. <laughs> That's the it's movie just, he's like, pitching. I mean, this this is a, one more reason why everyone should watch this movie. It's so of the time now. <laughs> no, it's really fun. Like I mean, it's it's just brilliant. Like it's it's one of those uh, to me. That's why I I keep using the Citizen Kane thing on on many episodes because it is the Citizen Kane of movies. But um, it's it's like you know when you have like a first movie that's just so inventive and so yeah. clever and and so sophisticated and and also has so much going for it like as far as substance and themes and, and it all kind of gets weaved together really well it's it's tremendous it's easily his best movie it's amazing to me that like it did, didn't doesn't get as much attention as it should it's it's criminal yeah. i mean <laughs> I, if he's to be believed uh, if his interpretation of events i should say not to imply that he's lying or anything but um yeah like he said it's he 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 felt like it was on the road to be a very successful release but um but then uh martin luther king and and kennedy both got shot yeah but you know i mean like uh, after like last picture show came out and paper moon like people should have been the rediscovering this movie i agree, I agree. and and it should have had a second life in classic hollywood movies of the late 60s and it doesn't. Well, wouldn't it have you know, been a lot harder back then because of the lack of home video and stuff? Yeah, although that was coming up, like uh, I think, like late seventies or something. But, but uh, in any case, it's uh, early eighties. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 I mean, I, I guess it was the eighties. My, my, I, I, my impression is that uh, we were privileged with uh vhs's by being born in the 80s uh I, I i so yeah i i i doubt that home video was really a an outlet for a movie like this uh, i'm, but, I'm yeah, well, reading the, here that jvc released the first vhs machines in japan in uh and oh, oh let's say in the united states in mid 1977 so i would think it would probably be in full swing by like about 1980 early 80s. So. yeah no no but but what i would say is like when people talk 
Bogdanovich. They always say like, oh, last picture show, paper yeah. moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody mentions targets. Like targets yeah. is almost like it's like PTA's uh, like Sydney or Hard Eight, whatever name you want to give it. Like it, it's the the movie that came before Boogie Nights that nobody remembers. You know, it's criminally um, underrated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's way better than than Hard Eight. <laughs> It's, uh, <laughs> I would see it, it. it's it's his Boogie Nights. I mean, a lot of people consider Boogie Nights to be like PTA's best movie. I don't, but you know, it's it's like that good. It's my Boogie Nights is my second favorite of his films. It's very very good. It's it's definitely it's definitely his. Uh, I mean, well, There Will Be Blood is his Citizen Kane, but 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 like before he had There Will Be Blood, then then yeah, definitely uh, his Citizen Kane was. Uh, Boogie Nights, like the the movie where he just crammed everything into and kind of made his mark. Yeah, I think one last thing I would say, maybe I can work that in there um, as an ending, is uh, when they're in the hotel, they're watching a a Howard Hawks movie where he directs Carlock. And um, yeah, and then that was like another like moment of like Peter Bogdanovich kind of showing his fandom and stuff. yeah, so I, I think all those I, I like touches... that scene because um, I, I like it's I don't know to me um, <laughs> it it's so it rings so true of uh, a um, a jaded actor you know mm-hmm. even a great actor but still like a jaded actor and uh, a, a director who you know by nature is a great appreciator of film. Because and he's drunk too, which helps the scene even more. Because he's sitting at the table, they're watching the Howard Hawks film, and he sits down close to it. And Karloff is trying to say something of meaning to him, and he just keeps going like, "No, no, 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 no! I, I, I want to see this part. Oh, look how great you are! Look at oh, he's trying to praise him, and he's just kind of like trying to brush it off, like, yeah, okay, whatever, whatever. He's like, no, 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 let's see." So good. Oh, so good. <laughs> yeah, it's um, and he's like, oh boy, could he tell a story? You know, mm. it's, uh, like the whole thing of like, um, yeah, which kind of shows how, yeah, basically he was a big admirer of uh, of of great directors and great movies, but, and he nailed it on this one. But I feel like it was just like, I guess had a bit of a Shyamalan. <laughs> thing <laughs> going I'm, I'm curious to, burn, to see his know. other movies i'm gonna watch a few of them and see yeah there's there's a few of them that i'm curious about seeing um there's um the one uh, i think they all laughed something called i'm not sure um and uh and there's uh what's up doc uh he's got like movies where like he was basically doing like specific styles like he was trying to I think what's up, Doc, was supposed to be kind of like a screwball comedy, um, and uh, and they all laughed was uh, like an ensemble piece. Yeah, and um, I think also Daisy Miller was. Yeah, he had like a few movies there that um, yeah, Nickelodeon I think failed miserably. Something. Um, that's when he tried something completely different than Saint Jack. But but yeah, he just had a few movies that had some like he had a it was a hit and miss even with his early movies. But um, yeah, well, right, I, I don't right after uh, Targets, he he was uh, I guess um, he was forced to do a movie that he cared so little about that he didn't want himself credited. 
So under an assumed name, he did the movie Voyage to the Planet of Prehistoric Women. Oh, yeah. Um, that probably was with Roger Corman, right? Before I, I would have there. to assume. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one, one, uh, one funny thing, I mean, not, not super funny, but uh, uh, the, um, uh, when he was working on the script for Paper Moon, he asked Orson Welles, um, it's like, what he thought about the title. And, and Orson Welles told them uh, something like, you know, that title is so good, you shouldn't even make the picture. You should just release the title <laughs> or something. <laughs> like that. It was like, it was like the title is like the best thing about the script. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I, I, I actually remember um, when I was at, at the AFI and uh, they, they, they screened that one scene from Paper Moon that was struck from the negative. And Lazo Kovacs was talking about how they shot it on, uh, they shot it using a red filter at night. Okay, Gil probably knows this. Jason, you might not. I'm listening. Uh, 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 I, I mean, a red filter on black and white film takes, a, takes away about two stops of light. Okay. Uh, uh, when you're shooting it. So they're shooting at night and 200 ISO black and white Kodak film in the 60s. So, you know, they're, it's, it's slow film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because I'm watching the sequence from Paper Moon that was struck from the original camera negative and I am just entranced and that scene ends and they go back to the panel and they go to Lazo Kovacs and all Lazo Kovacs could say is like it's still too grainy it's too grainy I I I I I, I will always obsess you know upon the scene because it's just too grainy and I'm just I'm just remembering this as like a sophomore in college Looking at it, thinking like, no, the grain is the soul. Well, there you go. <laughs> but, I I will never forget that night. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it, I I just thought it was gorgeous, and uh, he was still beating the shit out of himself. So, like, what fifty years later. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess one last thing I'll say about Bogdanovich, uh, since he did pass away, is I, I, apparently I never saw The Sopranos, but he uh, he had like a kind of like a second life there where he had a recurring yeah. role in that show. Yeah. And he basically, more than anything, just was just doing a lot of like little acting roles here and there. I saw that. He, he did like an episode or two of Entourage, I think. Yeah, How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, I did, did one episode one. of How I Met Your Mother. Yeah, he's basically always been around. He had, like, a very interesting history, too. Like, the... Yeah, when he... Like, his wife was, like, a, the production designer, I think, or something in his first few movies. Then they got divorced and shifted away from her. And it was, like... It's all very interesting stuff. Like, he burned too hot, was, you know, too fancy of of 
or enjoyed too much of the fame and everything. And he had the affair with Will Shepherd, Shepherd and stuff. And I think he ended up his life like living in the valley in some condo with, with I think his, um, I, I don't know if it was like, I think it was the sister of one of his wives or something. It was just uh, interesting lives that these people lead, like where you can be on top of the world and like winning Oscars and yeah, it's it's just such a weird Hollywood is such a weird animal. Um, <laughs> what it does to people. Yeah, my my friend Steven was just talking to me about this because I told him that we were going to be doing this movie, um, talking about this movie, and he was saying he described it as um, I thought this was interesting. He said something to the effect of Bogdanovich's career, in a lot of ways, mirrored two other um, famous filmmakers' careers. One of them being, of course. Um, uh, Orson Welles and that he he kind of was front heavy and and like uh, <laughs> front loaded with his uh, quality films and everything. Then the other one being Polanski in that um, oh. his wife met a horrific death, I think at some point and um, and it, it really <laughs> affected his uh, his movies, I think in a certain way. Well, Polanski made great movies after she passed. Yeah, uh, but, uh, she he, yeah, but yeah. You, you look at the movies he was making, it definitely... Oh, the, mo- the movies got really the trust turn, yeah. Sure. Yeah, no, no, for sure. He definitely changed his uh, point of view. I mean, he was always pretty dark, but but he went yeah. full, full dark after. Full dark. Yeah. yeah. But, but that'll the happen. The didn't diminish. <laughs> no, certainly not. Certainly not. Just yeah. really depressing stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely interesting. Uh, and and Orson Welles too. Like he never really dipped that much. It's just that he he really he's the he's the mother of all burning hot. Like he yeah yeah, yeah. to start with Citizen Kane and any other movie after that. Like you're not gonna. And yes, none of his other movies were considered classics. But but I mean, Touch of Evil, Borderline, I would say Pretty a classic. Yeah, yeah, like they're all good. All his movies are are very good. It's just that none of them are. They're not like slam dunks and the, uh, the John Ford, Howard Hawks. Some of those like people at the time, like you know, William, uh, uh, Billy Wilder, William Wyler, all those like big Hollywood directors that were just making like one classic movie after the other. Um, he was definitely not one of those guys. Yeah.